With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Everybody, it is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022, and it is a heck of a morning right here on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. We're live, and then later on, if you miss half the show or maybe you're already listening there, the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a fantastic day. As always, a lot to discuss in the world of mixed martial arts, and this is the MMA Morning Show. All right, Boston, New York, all the big cities, they have their morning shows. People call in and they give their thoughts on big topics in the sports world. And that's what we're doing here. So if you're new to the program, that's exactly what we're doing. So if you have something on your mind, you want to talk about this past weekend, you want to talk about this weekend, talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Just hit the request and we'll get it rolling. Before we get rolling, I want to wish a happy birthday to my little brother. Ryan Heck is 30. Five years old today. Holy cow. The tall, skinny kid. Very kind of shaped like James Vick, if you will. But happy birthday to him. 35 years young today. And yeah, that's out of the way. So a lot happened this past weekend. Saturday, Jan Blahovich gets back in the win column in a way that was a bit unfortunate. Alexander Rakic, we saw what happened in the third round of that fight. The knee went out. We found out, first reported by Ariel Hawani, that Rakic suffered a torn ACL, nasty injury that's going to keep him out a while. And it's unfortunate because he was looking pretty damn good in that second round. And if he continued that line of of fighting and just kept taking Jan Bohovic down, there's a very good chance he was going to win that fight. I thought he was going to win that fight. I picked him by decision. I know most of the MMA, staffers, MMA fighting staffers picked him to win. Most of us picked him by decision, but 
just an unfortunate ending. And now the question sort of becomes, where does Jan Blachowicz go from here? Does this win, especially in this fashion, is that enough to get him back to a title fight? I know Glover Teixeira tweeted out at the beginning of the night, hey, Jan, you win and I win. Let's run it back. Of course, Glover's got his hands full with Yuri Prohashka on June 11th at UFC 275. Did Jan Blachowicz do enough to, to get Glover if that if that's what actually does happen? If Yuri Prohashka wins, we get at least a fresh matchup there, and we have a big fight coming up at UFC 277 July 30th between Magomed Ankalaev and Anthony Smith. So do we wait two more months to figure this whole thing out, or does the UFC try to figure this out quicker? I don't know. So, Jan Blachowicz back in the win column. He did look really good in that first round. Second round, a bit different since Rakic had him down for most of it and controlled him down there. So, who knows how that the rest of that fight would have gone. But Jan Blachowicz wins. And then on Friday, good Lord, talk about Twitter just going bananas and then just stopping. It took 30 minutes for this all to happen. But if you missed it, main event of Bellator 281, Logan Storley became the interim welterweight champion by defeating Michael Venom Page via split decision. And I know Ariel Hawani talked about this on the MA Hour yesterday, and I understand everything he was going through because I scored that fight for Michael Page as well, and I got annihilated for it. Absolutely annihilated. There's two things that I've gotten annihilated for more than anything else, and it has to do with judges' scorecards. One... That one, and the other was saying that Volkanovsky Holloway 2 was not a robbery because Volkanovsky won. I will say this again because when, when these conversations happen, I try to go back and watch these fights again, maybe a third time. At least with Volkanovsky Holloway, I can watch that fight over and over again. It's super competitive. It's a great fight. It's an underrated fight, and it's an enjoyable process to go back and watch it again and see if your mind changes and stuff. With this fight, Page and Storley, I have no desire to go back and watch this fight. I have no desire to see 25 more minutes of that. I scored it for Page. I'm confident enough that my scorecard was correct, at least when it comes to how fights are supposed to be scored with the new rules here in 2022. Damage always wins. It's always the number one factor. Logan Story got takedown Jess. He got him with pretty relative ease yes but he did nothing with them he did nothing with the takedowns he didn't land any shots very very minimal maybe in the fifth round he landed a couple he didn't try to improve his position he did nothing he did nothing takedowns aren't supposed to be really scored in that way because you're not doing anything with them it's just like you might as well have just fought against the cage like just clinched up against the fence and if that's what happened, those two guys up against the fence, Page at least landing stuff with his back against the fence. He's landing short punches. He's landing, trying to land elbows, trying to do something. It didn't happen that way. They were on the ground, but it doesn't matter. Page is still busy or on the ground. Go back and watch Benson Henderson and Islam Mamadov. Mamadov got the takedowns, but Benson Henderson was doing more off of his back than Mamadov was doing on top. All it is is his transitionary position. Takedowns mean really nothing if you don't have damage behind them. It just doesn't work that way. Now, was Michael Page out there just lighting Logan Storley up like a Christmas tree? No, but it, to my in my eyes, he did more damage 
throughout those 25 minutes than Logan Storley did. Now, if you want to, I had, I had people saying they scored at 50-45 for Storley. What the hell are you talking about? How is that? How can you possibly score 50-45 for Storley? How could you give him the fourth round? That, that was an asinine scorecard. A ridiculous scorecard. It's just insane. It's insane how inconsistent we are with the scoring. And then what was amazing was Twitter was on fire after that whole thing. People attacking everybody for how they scored fights. People arguing. And you want to know how bad that fight was? Within 30 minutes, it was done. Twitter was on fire for 30 minutes. And then it was over. Scott Coker said he scored it for Paige. He thought Paige won the fight. Ripped Storley a little bit. And then that was it. MMA Twitter was on fire. And then it was just gone. And that just shows you the desire that in the end, nobody cares. Nobody cares. It was terrible matchmaking. Horrific matchmaking. And I hated the interim title thing. Sometimes I don't mind an interim title. If we have a fighter, it's going to be out for a little while. We're trying to move the division. It's a glorified number one contender fight. Fine. If there's reasons behind it, there's a fighter injured, like, like the Usman situation. I've been clamoring, shouting from the rooftops. They should just do Shamaya versus Leon Edwards for an interim title. Winner gets Usman to unify the belt. It's a much bigger fight. Usman's out. He wants to spend time with his family. He's recovering from an injury. We're not disrespecting Usman by putting an interim title fight. We're just trying to put a big fight together and try to make that fight bigger. Yaroslav Amosov is fighting a war for his country against the Russian invasion right now. The guy said, no, I'm going to forego this paycheck, this main event spot in a sold-out arena because I'm fighting for my country. And what does Bellator do? They put an interim title on the line. It's just dumb. The whole thing was dumb. And then they put Logan Storley in there with Michael Page. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Everybody knew how that fight was going to go. Unless Page, like, knocked him out, it was just going to be that. Storley's going to take him down. He's going to lay on top of him. And then maybe Paige would do enough to win, but I mean, just terrible matchmaking. Horrible. This it's just very Bellator-esque. I, I just I don't get it. I don't get it. You could have put Paige in there with anybody. Anybody. And you didn't have to put an interim title on the line. Just put Paige in the main event spot. Let him style on somebody. Put him in there with a striker. And just let him do his thing. Out goes banana. It's a it's a it's a nice moment. But no, we got to put him in there with Logan Storley. Come on, dude. Come on. We got to be better than this. And then we almost had the same thing happen with Paul Daly. Paul Daly's final fight, hometown fight. We put him in there with a grappler who kept taking him down. Luckily, Daly got on his feet and just said, to hell with this, and just knocked the dude out in vicious fashion. So we got the happy ending. But there's a very good chance we weren't going to get that happy ending. We're okay doing that with these up-and-coming prospects, just putting them in there with guys to shine. They're minus 2,000 favorites on the way up. Guys like Paige early in his career, Aaron Pico, although Pico's had tougher competition than most of these prospects. But some of the decision-making that they put that they make in these types of situations is just baffling to me. Like Big Tuna. Big Tuna. Big Tuna pulls off one of the biggest upsets in the company's history. Big knockout of Christian Edwards, and he, like, the hype behind that guy after that knockout was incredible. It was incredible. Everyone was talking about Big Tuna. Big Tuna we are talking about Big Tuna on MMA fighting for, like, seven months. Couldn't wait to see this guy fight again. 
We're just like, put this guy in there with anybody that could strike. Let's just put him in there with a striker. Let him have some fun. Let's build him up. Let's get some wins. And what do they do? They put him in there with Sullivan Cowley, who's just going to take him down and beat the hell out of him. Terrible. And it was the first fight on the prelims. Ugh. Some of the things Bellator, I, and I love the people who work for Bellator, but some of the decision-making is just horrendous. It's so bad. But anyways, let's go to you guys. I, I, I'm going to jump off my soapbox for a moment, and we'll say hello to Tristan Gordat. He was first in line. Four Corner Sports, you're on deck. Hey, Mike. What's, Tristan, what's up, hey, buddy? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Before we start, uh, my apologies for yesterday, picking Jamal Hill versus Ryan Spann. I must have looked at topology real quick and didn't realize he was uh, – he had a fight booked against Iago Santos. My fault on that. My apologies. I, I, I got to take that on the chin for that one. A <laughs> um, couple of things. Greg Gillespie, find out why he was off the roster. Uh, well, you guys told me, and he came out with an explanation. And it still doesn't make any sense. I, I don't understand because I'm like, well, you're not going to fight fighters that are behind you. You want to fight fighters above you. But, yeah, but then you admit that, well, I, I can't sit either. I'm just sitting here either. So it's like a kind of kind of a conundrum he was throwing out to me. And I'm just like, all right, man, so you got to take a fight. You got to take whether it's behind or above. You got to take a fight. You got to get active. You can't just be sitting here. You're, in a rock, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place. Like we said before, we talked about this last week. So, you know, I, I read what he had to say, and I'm just like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but we'll see what happens. Um, also, I wanted to know as well your thoughts on um, Dustin Poirier's interview with Ariel Hawani. Um, is he going to get a 5 of July 30 and against two? I mean, is it going to be Kobe? But I, I can't see it. Kobe's still dealing with the whole situation with Jorge. We don't know his status as far as, you know, because he came out with I have brain injury and I suffered this and suffered that between that altercation between him and Gamebred. So we don't know what's going on with that. I don't know if he's going to get that in time. The Nate Diaz fight, that's still I don't think it's going to happen. And then, I mean, I guess I guess the only thing logical is the Wonder Boy, but, you know, we don't know. We don't know. We All we know is Dustin wants to fight July 30th. Um, so your thoughts on that. And then uh, I want also your thoughts – on the performance of Tattoo Osira this past weekend, almost got that finish in the second round, but couldn't wasn't able to get that um, that arm underneath uh, Candelero's neck to finish the choke. He had to, I guess, he bailed out of it, but still dominant performance by Tyra. So your thoughts on that? And then I know this is a lot here. Also, I want your thoughts on um, uh, Tony Ferguson's interview with Ariel Hawani and the clarity that he had of what happened against Chandler and where he goes from here at this point. So uh, just want to hear your thoughts on all that, and uh, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you, Tristan. All right. Let me uh, let me go back away. So Gregory Gillespie, yes, as we talked about last week, not surprising. The whole situation officially removed from the rankings because of inactivity. I know there were, I mean, Sunday was a crazy day because everyone thought he was released. But you have to remember, just because the bot says that he's removed from the rankings pool does not mean that they're released. Remember, Ioanni and Jacek, same situation. She had been inactive for a while. She was removed from the rankings pool, at least the fan rankings pool, and sometimes the rankings themselves. That doesn't mean that they're always cut. It just means that they're just ineligible to be ranked anymore. 
just like with the MA Fighting Global rankings. We give it 18 month window. If you do not compete within 18 months, you are ineligible to be ranked in our rankings. So that's just how they do that. Yeah, he's in a weird position. I mean, he's probably going to get the chance to fight somebody ahead of him because whoever wins the Armand Sarukian Matush Gamrod fight, you best believe they're going to be leapfrogging Gregor Gillespie in the ranking. So once they try to go back and maybe reoffer that the, one of those fights to him, he's going to have to say yes because that fits the criteria. They're ranked ahead of him. So we'll see what happens. I mean, eventually he's just going to have to fight somebody. You got to be active. You got to be active. We've seen what activity can do for fighters in these types of situations. Dana White, matchmakers, they're always going to favor the guys that want to get in there and stay active. If you're only fighting once a year, you're not going to get the opportunities that a guy like a Kevin Holland got a couple of years ago when he was fighting six times, having just a ridiculous year. That's what you got to do. You got you to stay in the limelight. This sport moves so quickly. You go and have a great performance. That fight with Diego Fajardo was insanity. It was ridiculous. It was a great fight. But when we're talking about like fight of the year and things like that, so much time had passed, we weren't even talking about it. We weren't talking about it. That's what you got to do. You got to stay out there. You got to do media. You got to fight. You can't just fight once a year, especially in this division. You just can't do it. The Dustin Poirier thing, I would be shocked if Colby is going to fight on July 30th just because of the whole situation with Mazadal. If we see somehow a plea is met or the charges are dropped or some kind of deal is made for restitution and they just drop everything, maybe. But I would I don't think that's gonna happen. I doubt it. And if I'm Mazadal's side, it doesn't seem like Mazadal's side's willing to offer any kind of a of a of a deal in their own right. Cause they could just say, you know, we'll just pay you for the watch or do this and do that, and maybe we'll be done with it. And it doesn't seem like they're in any hurry to do that. So I'd be shocked if Covington fights on July thirtieth. It's interesting to and maybe maybe deep down Poirier knew that. I don't know. I mean, I don't blame him for, for making the call out. The guy really wants to fight. I doubt Nate happens, which is stupid because this fight should have already been on the books. Wonderboy, maybe. And I'm just trying to think like who it could be at 55. Like Chandler would be a great, a great choice, but I just don't know if he's going to be ready to fight on July 30th. So we'll see what happens. I, I, that July 30th card is, is looking nice, but... We don't have a main event yet. We got the Moreno Kaikar France interim title fight, but that can't headline. That's not a main event for a pay per view. It's a great fight. Should be a lot of fun, but it's not a main event. And that card probably needs a little bit of help. So, yeah, I think if UFC smart, they, they just get Poirier on that card and who cares? Throw him in there with Wonderboy. Who's going to complain about that? And then Ferguson, just being Ferguson, just, uh, We'll see what happens with him if he lands a team. The interview with Helwani, go back and, and check that out on YouTube. It's a, a fascinating conversation, a fascinating look into the mind of of one Tony Ferguson. That's Tetsuro Tyra, great performance. Carlos Candelario is a dog. Dude is an absolute dog. He's tough. He's tough to finish. He's a grinder. He's a grueling paced fighter. And Tyra did the damn thing, won all three rounds. He's only 22. I th- he's he's got a very bright future ahead of him. I know he came better performance, a better debut than Muhammad Bahayev. That didn't happen, but still a, a pretty solid performance. 
And I hope he got to check out In-N-Out Burger. Props to Jose Youngs to, uh, for making dreams come true. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet. Up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Four Quarter Sports, you're up. What's going on? You just got to unmute. Can you hear me? Yep. All right, cool. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the main event between uh, Bohovic and Rackage. And has there been any news on Rackage's injury, whether it was like an ACL or an LCL injury? And... Um, with Bohovic winning, right? He won. I got him winning the first round. Uh, Rakic winning the second round. Does that? Do you feel like it, he's entitled to getting um, a second title shot, potentially against uh, Glover? Um, I also wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Angela Hill in her uh, future, because um, losing to Vernon Vernon Jandaroba, um, what is she now at thirteen and twelve record-wise? I mean, where's her career path going to go after um, taking a, a loss to Verna? I felt like that was a very important win that she needed to get. And then uh, lastly, I know you mentioned about Usman. Um, when do you think his timetable is uh, for him to return with the hand injury? I know that uh, originally they had mentioned something of him wanting to come back um, in the fall, but I don't know. Do you think that's likely? And I just want to get your thoughts on that. All right, thanks. Thank you for Corner Sports. So the Rakic situation... Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's torn ACL, so he's going to be out for a little while. It was first reported by Ariel Hawani. We confirmed that information last night. So 
yeah, he's just an unfortunate way to, to end the fight. We got to give credit to Jan Blachowicz too because, you know, Rakic is dealing with a little bit of an injury. I mean, Blachowicz was, was was landing light kicks. He was really beating him up, and he kind of forced Rakic to put, put a lot of that weight on the other leg, and that's just the way the fight ended. Now, in terms of the title conversation, I don't know, man. I don't know. We have to. We have to probably have to wait and see how these next couple of months play out. We got to see how Glover Teixeira does against Yuri Prohashka. I would think if you're Jan Bohovic, despite the back and forth on Twitter, if you're Jan Bohovic, you're probably a Yuri Prohashka fan right now. You're probably hoping he goes something fresh. And then we got Magomed Ankalaev taking on Anthony Smith on July 30th, and. I would say if Glover wins that fight, I'd say the winner of that one probably has a better chance. But Glover is also not the most active guy in the world. Like if he fights in June and wins, we probably won't see him until the end of the year, more than likely. So this is about as it's kind of a cop out, but this is about a, 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 as much of a wait and see situation as you're probably going to find. And then with the Usman situation, yeah, I mean he was at UFC 274. He spoke with media and said that things are taking a little bit slower than originally anticipated. So you would think July 30th would make all the sense in the world. Usman has ties to Dallas. That'd be a perfect card to headline, but I don't know what they're going to do. I honestly have no idea. That'd be a great fight to put on there, but maybe that's what they do. Maybe they go with my idea and do Shamaya versus Edwards interim title. That'd be a tremendous main event for that card, and then Usman gets the winner, and Usman can be there, and they can have a little a little moment afterwards. But again, that's sometimes when you're putting these title fights on and you're trying to, to build with two or three title fights, you get to a point where you're like, man, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? And if Usman can't go July 30th, I don't know what they're going to do. I have no idea, because you're not going to get Stipe John Jones on that card. What are you going to do to headline it? I mean, you could do maybe Peña Nunes too, but I mean, I guess. I don't know what you're – I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But something tells me that will probably end up being the main event. And then what, Angel Hill? Angel Hill is – Angel Hill is about five judges away from being in a much different position right now. She's tough. She's going to be a gamer against anybody she fights. So, yeah, I think she'll be there for a while. She's multifaceted. She could be part of the broadcast booth. She can do a lot of different things for the company. So I don't think she's going anywhere. I think she's going to be around for a while. I think I, – I don't like using the word gatekeeper, but she, I'll use litmus test. She could be a very strong litmus test for a lot of these up-and-coming 25ers. We're seeing this next generation of talent – or 15ers, excuse me. We're seeing – you know some of these some some of the new fighters coming in at 115. When you're trying to get to that next step, what are you gonna do? Like if Brianna Fortino beats Jessica Penne, a, a fight with Angela Hill would make perfect sense to see if she's good enough to be a top ten type caliber fighter. That's where Angela's role is gonna be, and she, she I think she'd be fine. To be all to be honest, let's get Michelle in here. And then we'll go to Joe. What's up, Joe? So I've got two questions. Number one, I was actually at the um, Bellator show at the weekend. And I was going to give you that my perspective of the main event. 
Like I kind of had like two minds of it, which is kind of basic. But I kind of thought that maybe MVP would catch him with something, or Logan would basically did what he did and drown them out. And like during like the first round, you could kind of see where it was going. So like, and I think the atmosphere was really dead. Like when MVP came out, it was very it was hometown, so it was very reactive towards him. And I could, but during the first round, you could generally see the atmosphere. Everyone knew what was kind of coming. And obviously I left early because I knew what was coming. I didn't want to see that fight. And I did not agree with the matchmaking at all. I thought it was awful matchmaking, as you mentioned earlier. And number two, like, where do you think Mohamed Mokayev could potentially be going in the next couple of years? Like, I personally think he could be the champion within the next two, three years. But I just wanted to know your thoughts on both of them. But obviously you've said the first bit. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, yeah, the, the, that matchmaking was horrific. Absolutely horrible. Dumb, terrible, made no sense. You want to do pay? I didn't even like the Amosov idea, especially on that card in front of a home crowd. Like, that, if you thought Storley was going to do that to him, Amosov would have been much worse. I just, I would have rather have seen the freaking Lima trilogy fight over Paige fighting Amosov. But we got store. But then with Amosov out, now you had an opportunity to do something else. You could have done Jason Jackson. You could have done. You could have done anybody. You could have done anybody. Just find a freshman. You could have done MVP Daily too on that card. Like both guys lost their opponents. You could have had that headline. Get that rivalry out there. Maybe they could put up a better fight than they did the last time. You could, there's a lot more you could have done in that situation than putting Logan Storley in that fight. Now, good for Logan. He won, got two paychecks. He's the champion. Now he's going to get his rematch with Amosov. I can't imagine there'll be a ton of excitement when those two guys fight, although the first fight was really close. Yeah, it just wasn't a good decision by Bellator, but this is classic Bellator. These are the things that they do, and I don't understand it. And I want Bellator to do so well. I like their roster. There's a lot of things they do well. But, man, is there a lot of things they don't do well. Matchmaking needs to improve immensely. And, like, just go back. Like, the last couple of cards have been, like, the main events have been awful. Awful. Bader Congo 2 was awful. Storley Page is awful. And Gegard Mousasi is going to headline the next card, but he's fighting Johnny Eblen. And there's a very good chance... There's a not a very good chance. There's a possibility that we get a third one, third main event like that in a row. Now I hope Musasi saves us, puts us in a better fight, makes makes things a little more entertaining on the main event front for Bellator. But there is a chance that we could be seeing another another rough fight if Eblen gets off and does what Eblen does. This could be another kind of snoozer. But again, it's about winning fights and. Eblen, I think Eblen will do more than, than Logan did. If Eblen gets Musasi down, he's going to try to do stuff with it. But I don't know, man. Bellator needs a lot of help in a lot of ways. And I've talked about a lot of the things they, they need to improve on. As far as Muhammad Bahayev goes, I've said many times, that kid is the real deal. He was the real deal as an amateur, as an amateur world champion. He was the real deal before he came to the UFC smokes Cody Durden in less than a minute. Not only do I feel like he could be the flyweight champion, I think I think he's going to be a two-division champion. I, I, would, I would bet money he will, he'll be a two-division champion. He'll be a flyweight champion. He will win the Bantamweight title as well. 
I think he's that good. I think the future is incredibly bright for him. So I cannot wait to see him fight uh, Charles Johnson, I believe it is, on uh, at UFC London. Good God, that's a really good fight too. Let's get Joe in here. It's CRJ, you're on deck, my man. Joe, what's up? Hey, Mike, how are you? Heck of a morning. You as well. Um, two things, I'll be quick. First, I just want to... I feel like Jan is probably the most underrated or underappreciated light heavyweight in 10 years. Everybody picked Ratchet. Uh, Ratchet, I say it wrong. Um, I feel with their heart. when you I try to break them down on paper, um, and there was nowhere that he could beat Jan. Absolutely nowhere. So I'd like your thoughts on what you think Jan has to do to get his credit or the appreciation that he deserves. And then I'll jump all the way back to the beginning of the fight. Petrovsky did, had an amazing performance. Where do you think that that pushes him? Seeing as that it seemed like Maximoff was getting the push, was going to go straight into the top 15, and he just got dominated. So where do you think that puts Petrovsky from here? Thank you, Joe. Yeah, Jan is underappreciated. It's it's unfortunate. But... You know, first title, clearly UFC saw something him because his first title offense was against Israel Adesanya, and maybe they were, maybe they just booked that thinking Adesanya would win that fight, but still he got put in a, a pretty good spot with one of the biggest stars and and got the victory. So Jan's good, man. And the Rakich thing, I just think Rakich is really good too. The guy should be undefeated, well, should have been undefeated in the UFC heading into that fight. The Volkan Ozdemir fight. I mean, I don't know anybody who thought Volkan won that fight against Rakic. I don't know anybody, except for two judges, but nobody else did. So he could have very easily been been right there. You know, Wynn probably got him a title shot. And I thought the one advantage was Rakic just slowing things down, not letting Blahovich get into his comfort zone and land that legendary Polish power. And I thought the second round was kind of indicative of where I thought the fight was going to go which is why I picked Rackage to begin with. Now, if those two guys stood up and, and just banged the whole time, I would probably favor Blahovich in the long run. But Rackage has that wrestling. It's really strong, and it's kind of underrated. But listen, he won the fight. He got it done. It's unfortunate how it happened, but he got the win. So good on him. And then Petrosky just ruined every parlay in the world. Not a surprising result, if we're being honest. Nick's a good grappler, but Nick gets Nick's one of those guys that is just his his gas tank is relentless. He's got such a pace, and if he can land an early takedown, it could be a long night. He's got that that style that Bryce Mitchell has, that Colby has, where it's just if I don't get the first one, I'm going to go for the second one. If I don't get the second one, I'm going to go for the third one, and I'm just going to keep trying to string these takedowns together. Andre Petrosky. Those guys over at Daniel Gracie in Philly, which, by the way, if we want to talk about underrated, I think the Daniel Gracie team is in that underrated discussion because that team is undefeated in the UFC right now with these guys that they have coming up. Sean Brady, Jeremiah Wells. They got some, they got some, they got some, some studs over there that are winning fights, and they're not getting any talk right now. So I liked Petrosky kind of shouting on his team. Took advantage of a situation, and if you're going to beat Nick, Nick Maximoff, that's how you do it. You got to get him out of there early because if you let him get going, you let him 
sort of assert himself with that gas tank that he has, with that cardio that he has. He's tough to beat. Ask Puna Soriano. I mean, I know people thought Puna won that fight, but down the stretch, Maximoff just that gas tank. The gas tank's just ridiculous. The longer the fight goes, the more it favors a guy like Maximoff. But Petrosky saw an opening. Maximoff made a mistake. Petrosky submitted him, put him to sleep. Great win. Huge upset. I liked the call of Gerald Mearshart. Unfortunately, he won't be getting that fight unless something happens with Bruno Silva because he's fighting Bruno Silva on August 13th. And maybe if Bruno gets is can't make it, we could slide Petrosky right in there. So I liked the call of, of Gerald Mearshart. Unfortunately, he's just not going to get it right now. Let's get CRJ in here. CRJ, what's hey, up? Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Or a heck of a morning, Good morning buddy. Rather. Indeed. I wanted to ask about um, Tatsuro Tyra's performance. Um, how far do we think this guy can go? Uh, I can't say I'm an expert, but it certainly seems like obviously not a, on a Mohayad level, but people are pretty excited about him and, uh, his skill set. So I figured you or someone else here might know a little more because um, that fight was kind of messy. Uh, you know, he was clearly in control, but they were sort of just rolling around a lot. It was kind of silly. I was like watching on my phone. I was like, this is, uh, you know, he's clearly winning, but, you know, I, I feel like I'm, maybe he was nervous because he wasn't able to finish him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting take. This is exactly what he needed because he could, I mean, Mahayev is just, I think Mahayev's just kind of on a different level. He's just got way more experience at this point. He's been in big spots and not saying Tyra hasn't because he's been in some big spots as well. But I just feel like, and I also feel like Candelario, no disrespect. I don't know. Candelario is like a really good opponent for him in this spot because with Mahayev, just think of what they do with Mahayev. They put him on the London card. He opened up the main card. They put him in there with a guy that he was going back and forth with on social media. There's a lot of buzz behind this debut. There wasn't a lot of buzz behind this Tyra debut. There's a little more buzz a couple of weeks ago when it was right there for us. And then Candelario got sick and we got pushed back a couple of weeks. But this was the this was the exact fight he needed. Mahayev, you just need to get him over big. You need to make him look like a star. The star build for Tyra is going to take a little bit longer. So how do we boost him as much as possible? We give him experience. We put him in tough spots. And Candelario is it's, it's not an easy out. It's not an, he's not an easy out. The betting odds were clearly in Tyra's favor, but I've watched Candelario fight his entire career growing up on the, uh, the New England regional scene, watching this guy compete. He's tough. He's tough. He's durable, really hard to put away, great defense. He's very tough to put away. And he was in some big trouble. Tyra hurt him on the feet. Tyra had him in bad positions on the ground. But Candelario is just really tough and durable and squirrely. So this is a great thing for Tyra. Like if Tyra went out there and just bolted, Candelario would have been really impressive in my eyes. But he's not going to take away as much as he is taking away now. Going in there, a 15-minute kind of a grueling war. With a guy like Candelario, he's going to take so much away from that fight. So I think his future is very bright. I'm not, I'm high on him. I'm not as high on him as I am with Mahayev, but I'm pretty high on him. Let's get Tony the Tiger. All right. 
Maybe. Tony, what's up, man? Make sure you unmute. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yes, awesome. sir. What's up, buddy? Thank you so much for uh, the forum. I mean, like, uh, you are the every man of MMA. I, I swear. Um, I, I didn't um, watch MMA um, uh, for a really long time until the pandemic hit, and I discovered you and AK and uh, the, uh, the show, um, and it's been awesome. I have a question for you. Um, general question, actually. Um, I don't think I quite know what the difference between grappling and wrestling is. I, I constantly put them as synonyms, and I'd love for your perspective on what that, that actually is. And then on refereeing, um, there, there seems to be such a fine line as far as stoppages. It seems like a lot of the community is, is, is just a one punch. Either the referee allowed one more punch or he stopped it um, before, um, you know, we saw that one punch. Um, the Carmouche fight where she had a, the, the, the uh, champion in a, in a crucifix, I felt like that was a good stoppage, and yet they're talking about running it back. Um, just kind of curious about your thoughts on those, and that's all I got. Thanks. Tony, you're the man. Thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate that. The grappling wrestling conversation. I think if you watch Bellator 281, I think that's a prime example. What what we saw Logan Storley do on Friday was wrestle. He wrestled. He took Page down over and over and over again. Didn't try to improve his position. Didn't try to finish the fight. He didn't try to submit to Michael Page. That's grappling. Grappling is more, wrestling is just the art of basically taking a guy down. Grappling is more st- strategy in in a fight sport, improving your position, going from one position to the next, trying to finish the fight, trying to submit. That's the difference there. What Logan Sterling did on Friday was grapple. What Tetsuro Tyra did, or I'm oh, sorry, what Logan Sterling did on Friday was wrestle. What Tetsuro Tyra did on Saturday was he wrestled or grappled. He tried to grapple. He tried to finish the fight, try to improve his position. That's the difference. So, yeah. That's that's the big difference. And, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the kind words about the pandemic because that's lit- like right when the pandemic, right when everything, right when everything started to close and shut down, that's when I got hired by MMA Fight. Like literally the day they shut Everything in Massachusetts down was my first day at MMA fighting. So talk about trial by fire. Coming in, trying to get some content going after a lot of the guys left here, like Ariel and Luke and Shaheen, but he's back now. Ramundi, even Danny Segura left. Like A lot of people left, and I had some big shoes to fill, or at least tried, and then I realized like I'm not going to be able to. So what could we do to try to do something? And I feel like we did a, a pretty nice job during the pandemic to, to get some stuff going. And I feel like we did a lot during that time to, to kind of keep the sport going. Despite what the UFC says about the media, I thought we did a pretty damn good job. Let's keep this train rolling with just simply Rob. So we'll just go with Rob. Rob, what's up, man? Make sure you uh, unmute. Hey, Mike. Good morning, my brother. How are you? Good. How are you, good. Sir. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I was. Can we talk about Islam and Charles Oliveira? Can I? Can we? Can I ask? Yeah. I just wanted your opinion, Mike. Uh, I was reading yesterday. I believe some of the posts you put, and then on ESPN MMA, I actually watched the interview. Um, and Islam was saying that 
Charles won't be able to do to him what he's done to others, which is walk people forward and then use his jujitsu. But I mean, I wanted to ask you, uh, I see such a matchup problem for Islam because, you know, number one, Charles Oliveira, you know, starts off in the middle and he pushes forward. And he doesn't he doesn't go off his back. And it seems to me that from wrestling, you have to be pushing forward. So and then he said to me and then he said in the ESPN MMA, he said, I'm going to hold Charles down. It's like, how do you see Islam? I mean, I see how he does it to a striker. if He can hold them down. But how do you see that realistically going with someone like Charles that he he might not be able to hold him down? What do, how do you think that fight plays out? Yeah, this has been quite the topic of conversation since UFC 274 and Oliveira being stripped and what we're going to do with the title and all that. And it seems like Islam is, would be the favorite to, to get the fight. I have, I have no idea how this is going to go. I honestly have no idea. Oliveira saying he's not ready to fight till December. He wants to do it in Brazil, which Brazil's not going to happen. I think we're all aware of that. UFC going to Abu Dhabi in October. I have a hard time believing Islam is not going to fight on that card. So I'm curious to see if he's presented with the choice. How does it work? Will they, if they say, hey, Islam, we will let you fight in October in Abu Dhabi against Benil Dariush. So you get that sort of hometown fight that you've wanted for a while. Or you get the first shot at Oliveira in December in Las Vegas, what's he going to do? Is he going to is he going to wait two months and go for the belt, or is he going to say, "No, I'll fight Darius first, then I'll fight Oliveira"? I don't know. And if the fight does happen, clearly Makachev's best path to victory is the wrestling and the takedowns. I just don't know. Like on the feet, Oliveira is going to piece him up. It's not. It's it's going to be ugly. The longer that fight stays in the feet, Makachev is in big trouble. Not that Makachev is a terrible striker, but Oliveira's gone hammer and tongs with Michael Chandler, with Justin Gaethje, with Dustin Poirier. And those guys hurt him, but couldn't put him away. Islam Makachev's not going to be able to... to Islam Makachev does not... like There'll be nothing is from Islam striking that will cause Charles Oliveira to worry at all. And the thing about Oliveira is... What makes his striking so impressive a lot of the times is that he doesn't have anything to worry about. He has nothing to worry about. He doesn't wor- have to worry about anybody trying to take him down. Yeah, Makachev, like he has to worry about Makachev taking him down, but he doesn't have to worry about anything Makachev presents to him on the feet. Literally nothing. So that's going to be interesting to see how he plays it out. Oliver can be pretty active off of his back. And if we're good, if we're going a straight jujitsu match, Oliver is going to win that. But if we're talking about wrestling and getting the fight to the ground and maintaining control on top, Makachev's very good at that. Will he be able to sum- Will he be able to submit Oliveira? That would be quite the statement. Th- what could what probably could happen is Makachev would just take Oliveira down, just kind of lay on him, land some shots. He has a very good chance to win that fight, which is why he's the betting favorite right now in, in a futures pick. But, I mean, Oliveira has a lot of ways to win this fight. So I have, I would have to look more, watch a little more tape. But again, Oliveira has fought way better competition than Islam Makachev. Way better. Like, you can't compare the two. It's not even close. Which is why I kind of want to see Makachev fight Benil first. 
See what happens. Get that marquee win. What's going to happen when you fight a top five guy in a big spot? If he goes out there and just runs over Benil, then we kind of have a better read on what could happen with the Oliveira fight. But I just think, I think Oliveira being slept on again. What else does this guy have to do to not get slept on? He's getting slept on again in this Makachev idea. People just think Makachev's going to run him over. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm done questioning Oliveira. I'm done. I was done after the Poirier fight, which is why I picked Oliveira to beat Justin Gaethje. Yeah, I was on. I invoked the chaos clause at the time. It was just like the weirdest thing that could possibly happen is probably what's going to happen after the weight miss, and that's exactly what happened. But I'm done. I'm done questioning Oliveira. I don't care who he fights. Habib, maybe. Habib, maybe we have a conversation to be had if he does come back, but... If Habib ain't coming back unless he fights Islam and beats Islam, that's for damn sure. Let's get Barber USA or Barbarusa. I don't know. We'll figure it out. What's up? Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Um, What's up? Uh, I was just wondering about the Islam uh, Oliveira fight. Do you think with the Oliveira? Um, um, didn't make weight. He lost the leverage of making his comeback fight in Brazil and in the end of the year. And with uh, Dustin saying that he wants to fight uh, 30 of July and Islam doesn't have a fight, why don't Islam uh, just fight uh, Dustin? And that's uh, we can see Islam against top five uh, opponent and then he can fight uh, Oliveira end of the year. That's my question. Interesting. That's a really interesting point. Now, Dustin Poirier said in that interview with Ari Hawani that he was offered a number one contender fight against somebody later in the year. He didn't mention who, he didn't mention when, but he said it was towards the end of the year. Maybe he got offered Islam in October. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. He didn't reveal any details. But that would actually be that's a great point. If I'm Islam Makachev and I know he I know he wants to fight in Abu Dhabi. I totally understand it. I get it. I get it. But if his goal, remember how I said earlier, if he had two choices, what are you gonna do? You're gonna fight in Abu Dhabi or you're gonna fight Oliver at the end of the year for the title? Which one are you picking? If it's the belt, like if his if the belt is the number one priority and fighting in a location doesn't matter all that much. Islam fighting Dustin Poirier is not a bad idea because that checks off the boxes that people want to see. Get a top five win. And if he goes out there and just runs over Dustin Poirier, that does it for me. That puts him in that position. Because here's the thing. The position Makachev is in right now is Makachev is probably the number one guy in the conversation, but the conversation has multiple names in it. You got Benil Dariush. You got even Connor, which is silly, but Connor's there. Chandler's there. Like these guys are there because they're stars. They move the needle and they want to sell. They're in the business of selling pay per views, which is why these guys are in the conversation. I would say Connor is probably unlikely to get it, but maybe he comes back at the end of the year and the UFC says, screw it. Let's just put Connor in there with, with Oliveira. Let's try to build this pay-per-view up and try to sell a mill, which they would. 
think Oliveira probably win that fight. That's why I don't feel like Islam taking another fight is, is such a bad idea. Whether it's Benil, Benil's probably, I mean, stylistically, Benil would be, he would gain, a, I mean, he would just get the top five win. He would stop this impressive streak of Benil there. Usually that'd be a great win. But if he beats Dustin Poirier, let's just say he says, hey, Dustin, let's go. July 30th, let's fight. He goes out there and just beats and stops Dustin Poirier. That, there's a lot of impact there. There's a lot of smoke there. And there is everyone else gets removed from the discussion if that's what happens. He fights Dustin. That's not a bad idea. If I'm Islam, you just go, go get it over with. Go fight Dustin Poirier. If Dustin really wants to fight, he wants to fight a guy that makes sense. He said it's got to be a 55er that makes sense. Islam, let's go. Go fight him. The impact that has is far more significant than anybody else he could beat on the way up to Oliveira. And if he does that, if he goes out there and just runs over Dustin Poirier in Dallas on a card like that, on a pay-per-view, boy, you make a, you make quite the statement. That's a great call right there. I like it. Let's get Elon in here. Jack, you're on deck, and then Viking MMA, you're you're third in, in line here. Elon, are you there? Hello. What's up? So I've got two questions today. Um, but the first one and the more serious one is about MMA journalism. Um, and I understand that obviously being a journalist is very hard, especially in MMA where um, the fans don't necessarily support journalists um, asking hard questions. But I feel like journalism plays a really important role in, uh, in making change in general in society. And um, certainly there are MMA journalists, yourself included, who, uh, who I think do do their part in making um, MMA a more <laughs> feasible uh, means of employment for fighters. But my question is, why don't more journalists uh, ask the tough questions to the guys like Dana and obviously like Hunter and Sean Shelby and those guys? Uh, don't give as much much access to the media as Dana, but that's my first question: is uh, why don't they ask tougher questions um, when guys like that are available? And my second question is about MMA scoring, which obviously we all know is broken. Um, but recently, I think it's really funny that the first round of Rose Carla and the second round of um, of Sterling versus Jan were scored exactly the same way by all the judges. Um, so my question in that regard is if there's anything you think, uh, any solution there might be to, to that issue. Thank you, Elon. Uh, good question. I'll start with the second one first. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the scoring criteria and the lack of knowledge behind the current scoring criteria, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you heard it on the broadcast if you watched the UFC card this past Saturday. Dominic Cruz is as smart and as intelligent as he is, doesn't know how to score fights in 2022. He has no idea what the criteria is. And I'll blame him for that. Okay, I'm not knocking Dominic Cruz. Okay, I'm not knocking him. The guy has fought in this sport 
and was a world champion for a long time. When you're used to something, as long as these guys have been used to the scoring, it's hard to change. Back in the day, in 2007, okay, 2007, we look at Logan Storley versus MVP. 2007, that fight happens in 2007. We're not questioning this decision at all. We think Storley won all five rounds. At worst, he wins four rounds. And when the sport and the criteria was the same way for another decade after that, it's hard to get out of that mindset. So I don't blame Cruz at all in this case. Now, a year from now, if we're having the same conversation when he's talking about ground control having such impact or fence control or octagon control and all that stuff over damage, then, then, then I'll give him a little more crap. DC is not good at scoring. The best part, the best on the broadcast as far as scoring goes, Brennan Fitzgerald knows the criteria and John Anik knows the criteria. They know it really well. Damage is always number one. Damage is always number one. You can take a guy down 38 times, but if you don't do anything with them, it's basically the same thing as standing and circling around and not throwing anything. It's literally the exact same thing. Damage is always number one. That's it. That's how the scoring is. Domination is number two, which is why you cannot score Sterling Yon the same as Sparza Rose. It's just so silly. The 10-point must system is, an, is just awful. But again, none of the stuff's ever going to change because the fighters aren't coming together. There's no sort of association. There's no camaraderie between the fighters, the commissions, and the promotions. It's just a crazy situation. So I don't expect much change on that end. We're going to be talking about scoring and quote unquote, what fights a robbery and this and that for the next five years, probably. The other part of your question with the, with the journalism stuff, why don't journalists ask hard questions or, I mean, cause I mean, here's the thing. Dana does the media rounds with, people he is comfortable with people that, and I'm not saying they never ask hard questions, but they're not really going to challenge him. You know what I mean? They're just not really going to challenge him. I've asked for Dana interviews and haven't been granted them. But the main reason why a lot of people in the field don't ask Dana hard questions is because they don't want to lose the access. They're in the UFC. It's not easy. It is not easy to be credentialed by the UFC. It's just not. There are a lot of hardworking people who cannot get credentialed. There are certain websites that get a lot of traffic that can't get credentialed. Barstool gets credentialed all the time. They have a lot of traffic, but their knowledge of the sport is not great. And they're not going to challenge Dana with any of the hard questions. They're going to give the UFC exposure. Dana will do interviews with them. It gives them exposure. UFC gets exposure. And Dana doesn't have to defend himself against anything. That's the way it is. That's why Dana has a certain group of people he does his fight week interviews with. People who, if they challenge him, they're not going to challenge him very much. And I'm not saying that you have to go out there every time you interview Dana and just blast him. You have to sit there and put him on his heels and make him defend himself every time. But if there's things that come up, it's more than fair to ask about these situations. Some people just don't want to lose that access. Me, I don't care. 
But again, I'm not, I'm not a boat rocker, but if something needs to be asked, I'm going to ask it to anybody. It could be Dana or Scott Coker or whoever. If something needs to be asked, I'm going to ask it. I'm not going to sit there and get in a fight with anybody. I'm not going to sit there and get into a petty argument with somebody. I'll ask the question. If it's answered, I'll move on. If it deserves a follow-up, I'll follow up on it. Like that's, that's just how I do it. And I don't feel that asking a hard question once in a while should get you banned or help you lose that or make you lose access or anything like that. But to me, I like covering UFC events. I've, since I've joined MMA fighting, I've covered one UFC event. That was the Jacksonville card in April. That's it. Two years with the, with this company over two years, I've covered one UFC event. I want to cover more. I'd love to, but I don't care if I don't, what's the worst I can have? Vias Dana question. doesn't like it. He says, I can't go fine. I'll, do it from home. Like I've covered every other UFC event at home and do just fine. It's nice being on site, but I like being on site because I like to just do extra stuff. I like to interview John Anik on the street or Laura Sanko on the street near the river or go play golf with the fighter or go do something different. Like that's why I like covering the events. I don't care about like I'll cover the event and just sit in the back and do the post fight interviews. I don't need to be cage side or anything like that. Like I just like, I like the buzz. I like just talking to people about the cards. Like that's what I like to do. It just on site and getting that feel of how the public is feeling about a card. And I can guarantee you it was much different in Phoenix than it was in Jacksonville. Jacksonville was just, it was there. Like the press conference wasn't that packed. The ceremonial weigh-ins wasn't that packed. Phoenix, I'm sure they were slammed for all of it. But as we got closer to Saturday, you could feel it. People wanted to see Hamza Shabaya fight. Like I, that's why I like being on site. But to answer your question, that's why. That's why people don't ask hard questions because they don't want to lose access. There you go. And I'll be critical of the UFC when I need to be, and I'll be critical of Be- I'm critical of Bellator all the time. Bellator's like Bellator is like uh Bellator is like Will Smith when he was when he moved in with the Banks family. Early seasons, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You see so much potential there, and he's a pain in the ass. But you know the potential is there, and you just want to do everything you can to get that potential out there for the world to see. But then every once in a while, he sneaks out of the house and he misses curfew, and you're just like, "Damn it, Will! What are you doing?" That's how I feel about Bellator. Just so much potential there, so much you could do, and you're just like, damn it, you missed curfew again. Go to your room. Drives you freaking crazy. I went all over the place on that one. We'll take two more. Viking MMA, you're on deck. Jack, you're up. What's hey, up, Mike, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, so I just had a quick question about uh, kind of the future of fight night cards and their locations. I just wanted to know your opinion on if by the end of the year you're going to start seeing fight nights consistently being on location and us being able to buy tickets for them and actually go to them. And then just one last thing, I wanted to know if you'd heard anything about fight nights or any potential UFC events coming to like a Seattle or Portland area because I'd love to attend my first event. And that's all I got for you. Thank you, Jack. The fight night thing, consistently, I would say no. I don't think we're going to be at a point where every week there's going to be a fight night car on the road. I think the apex will still be used the majority of the time for fight nights, but 
I'm trying to think how it worked. So March was March. They did London and Columbus for fight nights. April. They didn't do April. There was no crowd one May. No crowd one June Austin, which is the June 18th card. And that's it right now. I would say March, June, I would say maybe every two to three months we might get a fight night on the road, but let's also remember too, they're in the business of trying to sell as many tickets as possible. And the Columbus card actually sold really well, despite an okay main event. But I mean, if I'm the UFC, I'm not, I mean, as much as you want to make the fans happy and you want to see fans buy a bunch of tickets and stuff, that's cool. But that apex is a freaking gold mine for you. People are spending, I mean, you could bring fans in there, 100, 200 people, and they're spent, like, from what I understand, the tickets to those Apex cards are freaking expensive. Like, really expensive. So they're still finding a way, ways to make money and stuff. What I think will end up happening, what I think will end up being more of the future is I think they'll probably, ex- and I know it's been talked about, I don't know really a lot of the details, but it seems like they'll probably expand the Apex venue a little more so they could fit maybe 500, 1,000 extra people. That would be my guess to sort of give that ambiance of a bigger fight feel. I still think they'll go on the road, but I think pay-per-views will obviously be on the road and then maybe, at least for now, maybe four times a year, five if we're – Maybe six if we're including the London cards, the France card. International still, but like domestic travel. We got Austin. Maybe we'll get like one or two more domestically for fight nights. Seattle, I know what's on the list. When, I have no idea. Maybe maybe the fall. I don't know. I know Seattle is is on the list. That's for sure. I would like to see Boston again. Boston's a good fight crowd. Maybe I'm biased, but Boston is a very good fight crowd. Boston's the kind of fight crowd where first fight of the night, place is almost full. They love their fights. They don't get them all that often. Dana's from there. I would expect Boston to certainly have a card this year. Toronto, I think they will make their way back to Canada. I think they'll end up in Seattle at some point. I don't know if it'll be a pay-per-view or they, they throw them on a fight night, but I think we'll end up there at some point. Viking MMA, are you there? Maybe not. I'm trying. It's not working. All right, clearest values. You're in. Final word. All right, Mike. I have a I have a little bit of a fun one. I'm not much of a morning person, but this is what I got for you. If you could do a Bellator Grand Prix style tournament in any USC division, how would you seed it? Who would you have winning? And yeah, just love to hear what you have. Oh man. Can't really go wrong with <clears throat> can't really go wrong with really any division here, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Those who have followed me long enough, you know where I'm going with this. I'm going to the Bantamweight division. It depends. Are we adding are we adding the champion to this mix? That's the question. It's gotta be Bantamweight. It's got to be a 16-man tournament as well. 
So I'll have the champion. So just in no particular order. I'm not going to seed him right now, but Sterling, Jan, Dillashaw, Aldo, Sanhagen, Cheeto, Marab, Rob Font, Cruz, Song Yudong, Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz. And then, then here's where things get tricky because Ricky Simone and Jack Shore are about to fight. Winner of that would get it. Tyler Phillips could be in there. Timor Valiev could be in there. Victor Henry could be in there. I mean, we'd have to do, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to have some fun. This is going to be like the freaking king of the ring. All right. We're going to have play in fights. We're going to have number one seeds already. So, in my eyes, if we're going to do a 16 man tournament, we have to do play ins. But Sterling is automatically in, Jan is automatically in. Dillashaw and Aldo are automatically in. Those are your four number one seeds. And then everyone else has to fight to get in there. So Sanhagen would fight like a Victor Henry or a Hione Barcelos or somebody like that. And then we would just kind of go from there. Cheeto would fight somebody outside of the top 15, so forth and so on. On and on we go until we get the 16 guys. So it would be bad and wait 100%. Let's try Viking MMA one more time. Can we get him? This is it. Last call for alcohol. The wheel is spinning. Are you there? Unmute. Can we do it? Yes, we can yes, do it. Yes, I think we got him. Hey, man. What's up, buddy? I'm from India, and I just want to ask you one question. Why is everyone talking about Islam versus Oliveira or Islam versus Dustin, where Islam hasn't even fought anyone to match up with Oliveira. I mean, no one is talking about just, no one is talking about Benil Dariush. And, you know, just like Hamza, that everyone was calling him, calling him out before the match. And after that, everyone is calling him out. It's all about, you know, yeah, man. Here's the thing, uh, Viking MA, and thank you for the call. There is somebody talking about Benil Dariush, and it's me. I've been talking about Benil Dariush because I've been saying this entire time that what the UFC should do is do just go forward with Makachev Dariush in October. If Dariush can make it there. I know he's hurt, but it seems he told our own Damon Martin he'll be ready. He it looks like he'll be ready for October. He wants to fight in Abu Dhabi as well. I just I mean, just do that fight. Like, I, I don't understand the rush, especially if Oliveira isn't going to fight till the end of the year. And I've already said this. He's probably not going to fight in Brazil. But if we're going to do, like, if he fights, Dar if Makachev fights Dariush and wins, there's no questions. There's no other name. There's no other option. That's it. Right now, we have options. Makachev is kind of at the top of this list. That also has Dariush, Connor. Chandler in, you know, maybe mixing another guy. Volk, maybe Volkanovsky's in that conversation. But if Makachev beats Dariush, or as it is an old caller suggested, if Makachev steps up July 30th and fights Dustin Poirier and runs over Dustin Poirier, he's the guy. He has earned his, he is, and let me just say this 
if they booked Oliveira Makachev right now, I would not be upset about it. It's well-earned. A lot of people feel Makachev is the best 55er in the world. I am not ready to say that just yet. I think that's Charles Oliveira until somebody beats him. And I think Oliveira in Makachev is an interesting fight. But I don't think we have to rush that fight either. We could give Oliveira, we could let Oliveira wait and let this division play itself out first. But Darius sure could be in this conversation. He should be. And the winner of that fight makes the fight with Oliveira even bigger. Makachev beats Oliveira, or Makachev beats Darius. There's no more. There's no more complaints. There's no nothing. He's done everything he's needed to do to earn a title shot. The winning streak is impressive, but there is a knock on him. He hasn't beat a highly ranked fighter yet. His best win of his career is Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker is his best win. Looking at rankings. And he's treated all these fighters accordingly. He's run them all over. He's dominated all of them. Except for Armand Sarukian. But let's be clear. Armand Sarukian is going to be the lightweight champion in the next two years. There's no shame in that. He still won that fight. Armand is the real deal. But his best win is Dan Hooker. Bobby Green was impressive, but Bobby Green took that fight on less than a week's notice. The thing that killed him was the RDA situation. And I don't even know if I have to, if we could blame Islam for that. We could probably we might be able, have to blame the manager for that one. Whoever was running his social media account screwed the pooch. 100%. But the knock on Islam is that he does not have a top 10 or a top 5 win or a top 5 win more specifically. He beats Darius or beats Poirier, he's got that and then there's no more questions. That's why it, like it's not there's no need to rush this fight. There's no need to rush it. Makachev's going to get a shot. If he's as good as everyone says he is, he'll fight, get that top five win, and then we're done. All right, Max, I'm going to squeeze you in, man. Max, are you there? Make sure you're on mute. What's up? What's up, man? Final word. What'd you got? All right, kind of an off one here, but for the card this weekend, someone I'm looking at and then I feel like everyone should be looking at is Gileton Almeida. Big favorite. Uh kind of back-and-forth opponent with Parker Porter. Where are you at on his trajectory with a win? I think a lot of people are expecting it to come in the first couple rounds if he gets it done early and easily. Are we doing the big push, little push, fast track, keep it slow? What do you think? Good question. I, I'm very high on Jailton Almeida. I was very high on him before he came to the UFC. Been high on him for a while. He's got 10 wins in a row. The Contender Series fight was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Rudinoff is a tough out, and he kind of beat that ass and got it done. And then perfect matchmaking, gets to Nil Marquez for his UFC debut and just kind of runs him over. This is weird matchmaking because he was supposed to fight Maxim Grishin, which I actually liked that fight for his trajectory. But then he just says, kind of, F it. I'll go to heavyweight and fight Parker Porter, who... It's just fun. Parker Porter's just fun. He's got three wins in a row. I mean, it, it's just, we're, we're staying busy. It's just such a weird fight. It's just such a weird, bizarre fight. But I ain't counting Parker Porter out of this one. I think, like, technique-wise and stylistically, Almeida is just way ahead. He's just the more complete fighter. But Parker's just a crazy man. And can make things happen. He's durable as hell. So we'll see. I don't know. But yeah, I think uh, 
I think Almeida is a very exciting name at 205. And who knows? Maybe this is a guy who can run up the rankings in multiple divisions. I He's super exciting fighter, and I expect him to win. But Parker Porter, Parker Porter is going to be there for a little while. He's tough as hell. All right, we're done. I went a little longer than I thought I was going to go, but you guys brought the heat all morning long. We appreciate that very much. Back on Thursday, we'll do it again, 8 a.m. Eastern, and then we'll have BTL Thursday afternoon. Friday, we'll be off running with the preview show. And then Eagle FC is back on Friday, so maybe Jed and I will, will jump on the Twitter spaces during the Eagle FC card because we love doing that so much. We just love going through these big fights and, of course, cannot wait to hear Henry Cejudo on the broadcast. That is always fun as well. And then Saturday, the UFC is back with UFC Vegas 55. And then we get a rare weekend off, I believe, before we head into June and get ready for UFC 275 and then into July with two pay-per-views. It's a fun time to be an MMA fan, everybody. So thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, have a heck of a morning. the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.